before I start reading our scripture today, I just want to confirm I am not Pastor Gary, and I know that in spite of what it says in your bulletins. So I will be doing the sermon today. What I know for a certainty is that neither Pastor Gary nor I can proofread a bulletin. We are going to have to work on that. (laughs) This was something the Apostle Paul did not have to deal with. There were no church bulletins back in the day. However, there were issues in the church then that are similar to issues in the church now. And in our scripture for this morning, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 15, Paul is urging his congregation to donate generously. He says, Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you. So we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance." As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. This reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians is paired in our lectionary with one from the Gospel of Mark. In that scripture, a woman who has been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years reaches out from a crowd and touches Jesus, and immediately she is healed. But Jesus doesn't stop with that. He walks on down the road to the home of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Jairus' young daughter has been sick, and she has just died. Jesus brings her back to life. These are amazing signs of the kingdom of God which has come near. Jesus performed them to help people understand who he was and what he was doing. The letter from Paul I've just read encourages the taking up of a collection from one Christian church 
in Corinth to send to another congregation in Jerusalem. It might seem to be a step down from what Jesus was doing. Giving money, even for a worthy cause, doesn't usually make a riveting witness. It won't make people stop in wonderment the way they would if they saw a person who was chronically sick be healed suddenly. It won't make them marvel the way they would if they saw someone rise from the dead. But I propose that such an action, collecting a contribution to share with others, was also a sign of the kingdom of God. It was an illustration of the care and love that those ancient congregations had for each other in Christ. After all, what exactly did people in Corinth have in common with people in Jerusalem? Most Jerusalem Christians were from a Jewish background. They still practiced many Jewish customs, including circumcision and various dietary guidelines. Most Corinthian Christians had been Gentiles. They had worshipped idols, lots of different kinds of idols. They were still learning the ropes of what it meant to be Christian. They were trying to avoid being pressured to worship the Roman emperor. What Paul is asking the Corinthians to do is to focus on what unites them instead of what divides them. What did they have in common? Their Christian faith. What can they do to show their faithfulness to Christ? They can be faithful to each other. They can reach across the boundaries of city and nation and give help to their distant neighbors. It was a good plan with a worthy goal, but Paul was having problems with implementation. The Corinthians had been enthusiastic when he'd first raised the idea, but they had since cooled off. Possibly Paul's leadership style was rubbing some people the wrong way. Possibly the Corinthians had as hard a time as we have in knowing when we have enough or when we don't. Perhaps for them, as for us, it was hard to distinguish between needs and wants. In an earlier portion of chapter 8, which I haven't read this morning, Paul is praising the response of the Macedonian church to this same collection. During a severe ordeal of affliction, he says, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. In their response, the Macedonians had recognized that the Jerusalem church was, so to speak, their mother in the faith. Many of those who had lived in the presence of Christ had traveled into distant corners of the world to share the good news. 
the Macedonians received the gospel they spread, and they benefited from it. For the same reason, Paul was urging the Corinthians, who had greater material blessings, to benefit the poorer Jerusalem church. Each would express God's love in their own way, through the sharing of the gospel or the sharing of prosperity. The collection was taken, and it was eventually delivered to Jerusalem. But we still don't know today what proportion the Corinthian church contributed. Did they too overflow with a wealth of generosity? Or were they less enthusiastic? Paul is talking about one kind of treasure here, coins or financial resources. But there are lots of other meanings for the word treasure when we're talking about a faithful response to God. There are the gifts that each of us has by means of character or training. There are the gifts of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, and so forth, that become part of who we are as we practice our faith. And there is the treasure bestowed upon us by God, his salvation, his blessing, his mercy, and his grace. We each have some of this treasure, not necessarily an equal amount of it, and not necessarily treasure of the same kind. What we share in common is how easy it is for us to bury our treasure. I'm thinking of that commonplace image of the pirate chest sitting on a little island somewhere surrounded by bright turquoise ocean. There's a shovel nearby, and you just know that treasure chest is about to be dropped down into a deep hole in the sand. It's going to be covered over like a sand dune. No one is going to know where it is except the person who has the map where X marks the spot. How do we bury the treasure we've been given? It's easy. There are lots of ways. We think about what we might do to be helpful in a given situation, but then we get busy and distracted and we forget about it. We think of what we might do to be helpful, but we're thinking in terms of what we used to be able to do in the past, financially or physically. And since we can't do those things in the present, we don't do anything at all. We want to help, but there seem to be all kinds of roadblocks. Or our gesture, our assistance seems so small in the face of the problem, we think it's meaningless. So we do nothing, which is really meaningless. You might be asking yourselves, how do I know of all these ways? I know of all these ways because I myself have buried my own treasure on any number of occasions. I hate to admit it, but there it is. I know of these ways because of what I hear. 
You all know my dad died last fall. Before that happened, he shared with my brother and sister and me how he'd wished he'd made the time to work on a Habitat for Humanity house. He was very handy in all aspects of building, and he would have done a great job. He just never got around to it. I heard how many years ago, when his sister's husband suddenly left, and she was struggling to work and raise their kids, keep up the house payments, he wished he'd done more than he had at the time. Understand that when my sister and brother and I think of our dad, the very first word that comes to mind is helper. He was always there for us. Even if he was far away, fighting a war in a different country, we received letters from him that encouraged us and let us know how much he cared. Very few of us can look back at our lives feeling no regret for the times we didn't share our treasure, whether it was money or time or relationship. Most of us understand just how easy it is to pick up that shovel and start digging. God says, don't do it. And I'm blessed because I hear about the many ways we do share. Some of us make financial contributions, as Paul was asking the Corinthians to do. But we also share by giving someone a ride to church, helping them get groceries, visiting or calling people who are homebound, sitting with someone for a few hours so their spouse can run errands. Do these seem to you like small gifts? They are lifelines to the people who receive them. I recall a church group several years ago where a member was asking for prayers for her young nephew in another state. He'd been beaten up by bullies at his middle school. He had several broken teeth, and his mom was struggling to pay the dental bills. One of the group members wrote a note to this nephew saying, he'd heard what a fine young man he was. He said he knew from his own experience that a young man always needed a little spending money, so he enclosed $10 with the note. Did his gesture solve all the problems we've just heard about? No. Did it help make things better and brighter for that young man? I think so. We ourselves have received so much. We are the beneficiaries of a form of government that has blessed us by upholding freedom of religion. Those who have died for our country have died for our freedom 
to practice our choice of faith as well as our choice of government. Not everyone who died defending the United States had a faith, but having died, no one who did practice a faith is able us to direct it to practice as they would have. That makes their deaths an even greater sacrifice. We are indebted. We are the beneficiaries of a Christian faith that has been handed down to us through the ages. We exist as a congregation because God has worked through people and places for 2,000 years to make the gospel truth known. From a small church in Jerusalem that clung to its Jewish roots to the first evangelists' roots in Asia Minor and around the Mediterranean, our faith has been carried forward on the backs of believers. And as the known corners of the world expanded, so did the work of evangelists. We are indebted. And here we are today. The treasures of faith laid open before us and all of us invited to share. The gifts God has given present in each of us if we should decide to share. We hear often, and we know from experience, that we live in a country and a community where faith in Christ is declining. So what will we do with the treasure that is ours? How will we live our faith in a manner that makes it alive and apparent? Christ calls each of us to consider our answers to those questions every day. How we answer will make a difference in our time and for the future. Amen.